So we are in uh, the Sint series from the book of Acts. It's going to be kind of the first part of Acts. Um, last Sunday, we were in Acts 4, 5, 6, and 7, so covered a lot of ground uh, last Sunday. Uh, today, we're only doing seven verses, so you just never know um, how that's, how that's going to go. And we talked about last week how God will preserve us for His purposes and how our mission for Him is a lifelong mission. We don't get to retire from it. We don't get to graduate from it, that no matter what we're doing vocationally or uh, what thing we may be pursuing with our, our nine to five or to make a living, uh, our mission for God remains um, for our entire lives. Um, once He calls us to glory, we, we no longer have the, the same mission of making disciples, but we still have the same purpose of glorifying God. And so that's eternal purpose for us. Our lifelong purpose or mission is this idea of going and making disciples and um, for His glory as well. And we don't ever get to move on from that. So today we're going to zoom in on the first part of chapter 6 and look at serving in the church. And in this passage, it'll show us how uh, most likely the first deacons, there's a little bit of dispute there as to whether these are the first deacons or not, but uh, most likely the first deacons within the church uh, were selected, why they were selected, and it gives us kind of a model or a foundation, not just for the office of deacons within the church, but just serving within the church in general. Uh, and so I think it's got some good principles for us um, just serving in the church. So this is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So that's the first seven verses of chapter 6, and we're going to look at what's going on here in chapter 6 as the church is starting to grow and problems start to arise as um, the, the group increases in size, <clears throat> and how we can apply some of these same principles today to service within the church. The first thing I want to point out, and it's kind of practical on the front end, is that the church needs people to serve. The church needs people to serve. Every church needs people to serve. And one of the great things about being a new church startup like this is that everyone kind of sees that there's a need for everyone to serve. It's kind of uh, a little more difficult when you're this size to, to just come and kind of observe and, and not take part in the ministry that we're doing um, because everyone's kind of all hands on deck almost all the time. Uh, and so we have that, um, one of the maybe few advantages of being the size that we are uh, is that everyone kind of sees the need to, to, to take part and to help out. There's a popular statistic in ministry, which actually came from the business world. It's kind of this 80-20 principle um, that in 
I don't know what size you reach, but most churches, that 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry, that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. So if you go to their events, you go to things on Sunday, you go to whatever they're doing, it's usually the same small kind of group that you see at all the things, putting on all the things, doing all the stuff. And the rest of the people just kind of show up and consume and um, take part, but don't uh, work, don't link arms with those who are doing the ministry. The business statistic is that 80% of sales come from 20% of clients. And so you have this small group of people who are really contributing and funding kind of the rest of what's going on, uh, and the 80% aren't really... um, sustaining the business, so to, so to speak. <clears throat> so in the church, you can see that if only 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, there's going to be a high potential for burnout, exhaustion, um, maybe even resentment from those people who just get tired physically. Um, and then we'll also look at kind of the spiritual implications of this as well in the final point of the message that um, there's, there's kind of a, a spiritual ripple effect that, that we don't want. Um, if we only have a certain small group of people doing most of the work and doing most of the service. But even just practically, you, you can't sustain an organization or a ministry effort or movement if it's just a small group of people trying to do all the work all the time. Uh, it's just not going to work. And so the issue here in Act 6 that highlights the need for more people serving is the fact that the Hellenistic widows are being neglected in the daily food distribution. So the church, as we've seen in the previous chapters, is being very generous. They're loving one another. Uh, they're selling what they have to support the needs of each other. And it kind of says that no one was with need because people are being so generous and sharing their things, selling their things, contributing to the needs of others. And so they've created a few food distribution system so that the people who are hungry, specifically in this case some widows uh, who may not have means to provide for themselves, are still being fed. And it says the Hellenist widows or Hellenistic widows The Hellenists were um, Greek-speaking Jews, okay? So racially, they're Jewish, but they've been um, dispersed all outside of Jerusalem, some for centuries because their people have been displaced. And so they've taken on the the kind of a more of a Greek culture, the Greek language, that kind of stuff. They're still Jewish um, by race. And so now many of them have come to faith in Christ, as we've seen. Thousands of people have come to Jesus. And so they're a part of this ministry, receiving food in the daily distribution. But the Hellenist widows are being skipped over. Now, there's some debate as to whether this was intentional uh, or whether they're just being missed, right? Because uh, maybe those who are serving the, the food distribution are serving their own kind first and maybe just not thinking of the Hellenists. Or there was some division and there's some, some conflict between these two groups. And so it could have been intentional as well. Either way, it's a problem. Right, Because these are people within the church, widows in need, and they're not being fed. They're being skipped over. And so they come with a complaint, which is natural. This is a justified complaint. They're not being um, taken care of in the daily distribution. And it's implied that someone, either the ones bringing the complaint or maybe others as they try to problem solve this, are suggesting that the apostles step in to serve those who are being overlooked. And I say that's implied because the apostles kind of give this answer like it's, it's not right that we step away from our duties to do that. And so it seems that someone has said, hey, can you guys serve these people who are being skipped? And they're saying, well, we've got some other things we need to be doing. <clears throat> and it's not a great solution is what they're saying because it would then take them away from their primary areas of service. 
And so what they recommend is let's get some new people serving, right? And God has brought us more people. That doesn't just create more need. It also creates more workers, more who can serve. And this is basic, a basic practical summary of why all churches need people to serve, right? One, there are needs. Two, the church leaders can't do everything in the long run as the church grows, and so it's dangerous to expect them to do everything in the meantime. And three, it gets others involved in serving. It's a very practical approach to there's a need, there's people who need to serve the need, these people can't can keep up with the needs, and so people need to serve. The other side of this coin is that we're called to serve and we're gifted to serve. We just read this in our call to worship from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Reminds us of both of these things, that we're called to serve and we're gifted to serve. It says, every believer has been given a gift and is told to use it in service to others. So, the church in Acts 6 and all churches everywhere today need people to serve. That's how God has designed the church to work, in mutual service to and love for one another. The church needs people to serve. And uh, just quickly, if you're thinking practically, in, in Missio Day Church, we got a bunch of people serving in a bunch of different areas. Two needs we still have right now, I thought, just off the top of my head. One, a tech person, right, to run the slides. Uh, right now, you'll notice that someone will be up here talking, and then we'll go back there to do the slides while the other person comes up here to maybe sing a song or do some talking, uh, which is fine, uh, but that's not great in the long run. And so there's a need right off the bat. If someone wants to join that team, uh, to get in a rotation or just a couple Sundays a month to run the slides. Two, communion prep. Again, not a huge, huge burden on those who are doing it now, uh, but something that could be passed off just to come early and prepare the, the bread and the juice. And so, of course, we've got our kids' ministry going. We've got our special events. And so as those needs come up, we communicate those. We ask for volunteers. And if you're looking for a regular place to serve and none of those match what you're looking for or what you might be able to do, let's just have a conversation about it and find a place where someone else can serve. Those are just some quick, again, if you say, hey, you've got needs, what are they? And so the church needs people to serve. All churches need people to serve. But we're also to serve with integrity. We're to serve with integrity. This is the second point, if you're keeping track. We're to serve with integrity. The 12 call the congregation together for a church meeting and explain that they need to select seven men from among them of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. So let's consider these parameters, uh, why they might be given. First, among them. They're to choose seven from among them. So I guess, in theory, they could have, because they're selling things, you know, and as others might have need, and so there is some... Uh, there are resources there available. They could have potentially hired out people to come in and serve bread to the Hellenistic widows. Doesn't seem like the best choice of resources, right? And so I think they've determined, like, that's not something we need to spend our money on, but also we have all these people, like, we consider our, what we're working with. We have a lot of people who aren't doing anything, so let's use them. Um, and also, it allows you to kind of know, like, who is going to be doing that work. Um, if we just hire hired hands, we don't know who we're getting, right? If we choose from among us, we have a relationship with them. And so uh, we know how consistent their lives are with their, you know, they're living out their faith and um, what they are about, which flows right into the next requirement that they kind of give. Seven from among you of good repute. You have to know someone to know of their reputation, right? 
Having a good reputation not only further guarantees quality service, they're going to do the job the right way, but also protects the witness of the church. We talked a lot about this when we went through 1 Timothy, that uh, all these requirements on elders and leaders are, are put in place, yes, because the person needs to live a righteous life, but also because it protects the witness, the testimony of the church, that you would look at somebody in leadership and say their life doesn't match up with what the, the teaching is from Jesus or what you're claiming to say is the standard for your life. And so we see that with the people they're choosing here to serve. Does their life match up with what you're preaching and teaching? It also, if you use people with good reputations, it means that you get, um, they might be more readily received, right? If someone is going to be in service and um, you don't know them, you might be hesitant. Uh, or if you know them and they have a bad reputation, you may not want to be uh, ministered to by them. Um, two, uh, I, one illustration I wrote down, and one I just remembered up here, is that uh, when my brother was leading a church up in Vermont, and there was a man who had come to faith, um, and he had been living consistently as a, a faithful believer, but there were people who remembered him before he came to Christ and were kind of judging him and didn't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, because of the reputation that he had previously. Now, if they had watched him in his current state as a believer, they would know that God had transformed him. And so uh, he was a man of good reputation, but they were not a part of the church um, to recognize that he was a man of good reputation. Um, I remember making a hospital visit one time, and the person asked me if a pastor was going to come see them, uh, to which I replied, well, that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm a pastor. And they said, well, we mean, you know, like the senior pastor or the associate pastor. And they didn't use those titles. They used the people's names. But uh, I could tell what they were asking. Like, is somebody higher up on the, on the food chain coming to see us? Um, so they knew who I was. So I wasn't rejected or turned away. They received my visit. Uh, but sometimes people have expectations that need to be adjusted a little bit. Um, I don't know if that was the case with the Hellenistic widows, right? Well, where's the apostles to come and serve us the bread? Um, doesn't seem to be a problem once they started working here, but uh, the fact that the people they did choose had good repute helped, right? Um, and so even though they didn't get the apostles, they got men of good reputation. And so I like to think that my good reputation still allowed me to make that hospital visit, even though they were disappointed that it wasn't someone above my uh, job description that was there. So they could have resisted the change in the food ministry, right? When they said, we're going to appoint these seven new men. Uh, but the fact that they had a good reputation amongst the people went a long way in that. They also need to be men full of the Spirit, so living faithfully, surrendered unto the Lord, not for themselves, and men who are full of wisdom. So they need to be able to operate within this ministry some level of decision-making, right, that they can't just keep going back to every question they get, running it back to the 12 and saying, okay, now are we doing it the right way, or are we allowed to give this person this much and this person this much? Or, so there's a very practical kind of like they need to be wise, right, good stewards of the, the, the distribution, the food that they're distributing. Um, they don't need to be micromanaged because they're incompetent. They don't need to be um, somebody over their shoulder the whole time. They're able to discern and address the needs within their ministry, uh, which comes from being wise. And so being full of the Spirit means that their lives are surrendered to the Spirit. Like we've said, their lives are consistent with uh, the truth that they're proclaiming, the, the gospel that they're sharing, uh, the Jesus that they say they're following. 
And so they are full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Now, these requirements are nothing more than simply living a faithful, obedient Christian life, right? They don't have any special skills uh, for, for this office. They don't have uh, any special education for this ministry. Uh, it's just people who are walking with the Lord. Are they growing in the Lord? And so that there's evidence of faith. There's evidence of applied faith, right? Their wisdom. Uh, there's wisdom in their lives because they're living their lives according to the teachings of Jesus. And so really what sets them apart is that they're available and that they're ready to serve. And so not a stated requirement. Their requirements are basically, are, are you being faithful to the Lord? Um, and are you willing and able to serve is what kind of makes them eligible. And the last thing I want to mention here on the, the parameters or requirements, though it's, it's not a requirement, and it's not one that we see stated here, but it's, I think, important to point out, is that the congregation chose other Hellenists to serve in this situation. The names that we read in chapter 5 are Greek names. These are not Hebrew Jewish names. And it mentions specifically that one of them, Nicholas, wasn't even racially Jewish, right? He's a Greek person who has converted to Christianity directly. And so I think a couple of benefits here of choosing um, Hellenists to serve the Hellenist widows is that one, those serving can better communicate and relate to those they're ministering to, right? Whether it's the culture, the language, uh, whatever it might be, they picked people who said they you know, are going to be more readily received and can speak into this situation. Um, and two, something I think that's important, not just back then, but really important today, is that there's representation in the church of the minority culture or group getting to serve and to lead. Um, of course, back then, right, it started, this, this gospel movement started with these uh, Jewish men who were following Jesus but believed in him, and so they're Jews who've, who've converted to Christianity, so Messianic Jews. And then we see that the the gospel spreads from the Jews to the Gentiles, right? And there's a lot in that that uh, was crossing all kinds of barriers and, and divisions that existed back then. We see Jesus also elevate the place of women in culture and society where they were suppressed and often looked over. And so this is a big part of Jesus's ministry was to cross racial, cultural, gender barriers um, to, to say that the gospel is for all, right? The gospel is for everybody, and so I think it's really uh, noteworthy to say that they chose people, not just another, right, they got the 12 Jewish guys, not just, you know, seven more Jewish guys to kind of lead and serve, but some Hellenists and a, a Greek person uh, to serve in this ministry. And I think it's easy for a dominant culture or race within a church to say that we welcome anyone into our church, but until you see anyone who meets the other qualifications that were listed, serving and leading, the message kind of rings hollow. I got to see this unfold over the course of a few years at our sending church, and it was really cool to see this shift from uh, kind of this unspoken attitude. I'm sure it was spoken, anyone is welcome here. But really kind of the unspoken thing was like, anyone is welcome to worship with us. And you transition from that to really kind of communicating, you are us, Right? Not, oh, well, welcome to have a seat as our guest and, and kind of, you're different, but, but here's what we're doing to link arms with us. You're one with us in the body. And uh, at the church we came from, Houston Northwest Church, um, specifically just racially, um, 
the pastor there uh, has made a very um, blatant kind of intent to uh, to diversify leadership, right? And so uh, you can see that reflected in those who feel more welcome in the church, worshiping in the church. They don't feel like outsiders anymore um, because you can see it reflected in what the church is doing and who's serving and leading there. Uh, and so I think it's really important for us to take from this so many years ago happening in the first century church and apply it to today uh, where we still see this as a problem. And I think this hits at the heart of integrity within a church that we've been talking about. Um, the, the main requirements really, if you look through these things, are integrity, faithful living, uh, availability, full of wisdom. Uh, is there integrity in the people that are being chosen to serve? And the, the, the last point to transition into is just after... One, the church needs people to serve. And two, we're to serve with integrity, is that when everyone serves, it multiplies kingdom impact. It multiplies kingdom impact. Everyone serving multiplies kingdom impact. We see the result of installing these new positions in the church in verse 7. It says, The word of God had continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests came obedient to the faith. These Jewish priests, not the high priests, this was kind of uh, almost like a lower level, which actually translated into lower class uh, of priests, so they were probably even uh, receiving um, the benefit of this food ministry, are coming to faith because of the charity um, and generosity of the church. The word increased, the believers or disciples multiplied greatly, and many priests came to faith. Why? Because the church is operating on all of its cylinders. Everyone's doing their part. The body is not just one limb trying to make everything happen, right? Everything's starting to work in place. People are serving and meeting needs. The 12 then are able to devote themselves to prayer and to teaching, which is their primary ministry. And so the teaching is more effective, meaning people are growing in their faith, and people far from God are coming to faith. Giving people opportunities to serve is also a means of cultivating their growth. This is kind of the other side of, we started with the practical needs, right? There's a, a need and there's people and so put them together and people are now meeting needs. And so things practically are getting done. But the spiritual ripple effect that I talked about earlier is that growth in Christ is, is cultivated when people start to serve and other people start to share opportunities to serve. Everyone is taking steps and maturing. Two of the men named to help distribute food that we read in verse 5 are Stephen and Philip. Now, Stephen, we talked about last week, who preaches this amazing, epic sermon. He's martyred for his faith, considered the first martyr in the Christian church. Next week, we'll look at Philip, who's going to be our model for discipling others as we talk about being sent to disciple. And so these two men went from unknown to serving widows to leading people to Jesus and living out the Great Commission. This is built into the design of the church. You can see them maturing in Christ from being faithful, right? So they wouldn't have been able to serve if they weren't found to be men of integrity and full of wisdom. And so they're living faithfully, not seeking areas of service or prominence. They're chosen to serve food to widows, which they do with faithfulness. Then they find themselves being able to preach to multitudes. Stephen dying for his faith, Philip being able to... Um, preach, disciple, and actually baptize someone, as we'll see next week, all because they were living faithfully and were obedient, living selflessly for the Lord. 
So I mentioned earlier again, serving is not just a practical solution to a practical problem. It's a vital aspect of spiritual maturation process. Serving allows us to grow, and it makes us more like Jesus, who came, as we read in Scripture, not to be served, but to serve. And if the same small group of people do all the serving, they are effectively keeping others from this process. We're stunting the growth of other believers if we don't allow others to serve in Christ and start to experience that faithful kind of selflessness and what it means to serve others and grow in that way. If we just let people sit back and consume and watch and treat them like customers instead of brothers and sisters as part of the family who do their part, then we're stunting their spiritual growth which means we're kind of restricting their Christ-likeness, right? Because our spiritual growth is becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus has called us to spread the gospel. We've been saying this week in and week out. We're sent to proclaim. We're sent to be bold. We talk about our witness and how we're sent to go to others. But he also sent us to serve. On his last night before his death, this is what Jesus did. He washed his disciples' feet. It was a powerful, powerful reminder that lest any of them begin to think too highly of themselves because of all the amazing things they've seen. They've walked with Jesus. They've seen and taken part in miracles and all these conversions and the Spirit has done all these crazy things and uh, the Spirit's about to do all these crazy things. Sorry. Uh, So this is Jesus on, on the Last Supper and they've seen all these amazing miracles that Jesus has done. They're about to see the Spirit come and do all these amazing, powerful things as well and thousands of people come to faith. And so Jesus doesn't spend the Last Supper kind of with this like celebratory kind of feast banquet like you guys are it, you're the stuff, the church hinges on you, right? You, you're just, your personalities and your abilities. He washes their feet. And he's Jesus, right? They, they, they know he's the leader, he's the teacher. They recognize him as God. And he's washing feet to set the example and let them know like, It's about sacrifice. It's about selflessness. God's going to do amazing things, but it's because you're available and you empty yourself of yourself so that God might be bigger, right? That you must decrease so that God might increase in your life. He wanted to remind them of that. That service and sacrifice are at the heart of their mission. And service and sacrifice remain at the heart of our mission of Missio Dei Church. We continue, I pray, to be characterized by service and sacrifice as we seek to not just enjoy the grace of God, but to extend the grace of God to others together. That's not about us. It's about Christ in us. Just as we read, again, in the call to worship, we've been given gifts to serve one another. Not so we can say, look how great my gift is. Look what the amazing things I can do for you are. It says that when we serve one another, that God is glorified. We read this in the Gospels as well. May your light shine before men so that they see your good works and not celebrate you, but that they would be, give praise to our Father who's in heaven, right? That's why our light shines before men, because we're shining a light onto God and giving him the glory that he might receive those things. But again, it all flows from are you living a faithful life? surrendered to the Lord? Are you seeking his glory instead of your own? If you are, then people will recognize that. As we're in relationship with one another, people will start to affirm those things in you. 
start to recognize that you can serve in certain ways. And so the needs are always going to be there. But are the people willing and able, living faithfully, surrendered to Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you for um, just this reminder this morning. How we can see um, just faithfulness. We can connect the dots of faithfulness to see men like Stephen and Philip who are uh, completely unknown to us. Um, And we see their first uh, appointed to service and ministry because they're recognized as men of good reputation full of the spirit and of wisdom. Meaning these men who have come to faith in Christ are, are just living for Christ, that they're uh, living uprightly, that their lives match their testimonies, their lives match the truth that they hold up and hold high. Their lives are surrendered to the authority of Scripture and to the Spirit's leading in their lives. And as they are partaking in the life of the church as faithful believers, those who are in leadership of the church recognize this. Those who, uh, who are make up the church recognize this and say, these men have good reputation. They're, they're faithful believers. And they're given opportunity to serve. They're not, they're not skyrocketed to, to executive leadership. They're not skyrocketed to some, uh, some high, important, uh, lofty, uh, place so that they can receive glory. They're, they're given a task of, of distributing f- food to those in need. And we see, Lord, that this is not necessarily an equation, a formula for every person who lives the Christian life, but we can see how simple obedience and faithfulness leads to opportunities for service, which leads to opportunities for people to come to know you and for testimonies to be written of grace in other people's lives. And we see God just as Jesus promised to build his church. We see as as you promised to build your family that it happens through believers just being faithful and obedient and available. So God, my prayer this morning is that we're reminded, that that we're encouraged, but reminded that uh, it's not about us. That as we live, as we serve, whatever role we might find ourselves in within the church, that it's not about uh, notoriety or recognition, but it's about your kingdom advancing. It's about you being glorified. It's about others coming to know you as well. So God, may you build up your church, strengthen us, encourage us, equip us. And God, may you build your church in adding to it might it increase so that praise and glory are increased. Thank you for faithful men and women ready and available to serve in Jesus' name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.